Welcome to the Show Me Literacies podcast with Dr. Shay Kirkhoff and Dr. Cassandra Walker-Suggs. Hello, and welcome to the Show Me Literacies podcast. I'm your host, Shay Kirkhoff. And today I am here with Dr. Robert Patrone, an associate professor at the University of Missouri, Columbia. He has authored a book called Rethinking the Adolescent and Adolescent Literacy, and he's currently finishing a book on skateboarding. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Shay, for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. So the title of your book fascinates me, this rethinking. What led you to write this book? And then how did you come up with the title? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, excited to talk about this this book. It's a collaboration with two colleagues, uh, Dr. Sophia Sarginitas at Westfield State University and Dr. Mark Lewis at James Madison University. And so the three of us have been doing similar work uh, and then we came together And we developed this concept called the youth lens. And so the youth lens is, if you think about a feminist lens, right? A feminist lens is looking Mm -hmm. at representations and texts of gender, of uh, of women, of of sexual sexuality. Like it's it's really analyzing texts for these different representations and depictions. A Mm -hmm. race lens is doing something similar, but looking at uh, issues of race. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Marxist lens might be looking for representations of class and socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And so for us, what we found was missing, ironically, was that there wasn't a, an analytical approach to analyzing texts for representations of age and mm-hmm. representations of what it means to be a teenager or what it means mm-hmm. to be an adolescent or representations of even adulthood in relationship to adolescence and, and teenhood. And so um, a lot of this work comes from, or a lot of our thinking was born out of um, a book by Nancy Lesko. She's an educational uh, scholar called Act Your Age. And she, she really shows the history of this concept we've come to know as adolescence, right? And so adolescence is oftentimes seen as this biological and psychological phenomenon that is inherent in people and, and so almost devoid of culture. It's sort of like you could take someone who's 16 years old and put them somewhere else and they're gonna have the same experience because it's intrinsic to them. What she mm-hmm. argues and she sort of shows the development of this concept is that adolescence or one's experience of those that time in someone's life is as dependent on the culture that they're a part of or the, the moment in history that they're a part of that it does anyone's biology or psychology. Um, and so one quote from, from, not from Lesko, but from someone else that I like to use when I talk about this is, um, it's, it's not, it's, not uh, it's society that makes teenagers, it's not their brains, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of talking directly back to this idea of the teenage brain, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the idea of adolescence, the idea of being a teenager is a, what I would call a social construct or a socially constructed idea, just like gender, mm-hmm. that it is a biological or psychological inevitability or set of facts of some, uh, uh, something like that. So in our field, we have you know, this idea of adolescent literacy. And so we just wanted to take 
make visible the con socially constructed nature of adolescence in conversations about adolescent literacy and, and young people we call adolescents or teenagers. And so the specific approach we came up with is this youth lens. So it's a way to look at texts and say, okay, how are young people being represented? How are adults being represented? What are the ways this text is positioning um, youth as competent or incompetent or, you know, mm -hmm. all of these different things, right? And so, so anyway, so that, that's the sort of origin of it is that the three of us were sort of doing some similar work. We came together, we developed this youth lens and we wrote about it. And then we, we edited a special themed issue of English Journal and all the pieces in that were sort of doing similar work. We put out a call, how are you troubling this notion of adolescence in your classroom, right? And so, um, and so then a bunch of teachers wrote in and we have that. And then from that, we developed this book called Rethinking the Adolescent and Adolescent Literacy. And what that does is it takes this idea of a youth lens and looks at what it looks like in classrooms. So we have several sort of chapters of classroom practice that's taking up this idea of a youth lens. Mm -hmm. So when you have worked or you have observed teachers working with adolescents and they're rethinking what it means to be an adolescent, what is coming up? What are adolescents finding when they use that youth lens? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm, I'm actually working on an article about this right now. And there's a chapter in the book that talks specifically about, well, there's two chapters in there, but one is as a unit, a high school English teacher developed, um, actually co-developed it with the high school English teacher. She was a former student of mine and, and sort of approached me to, to sort of do this, where it's a whole media literacy unit. So it's looking at the media, but specifically for how it's representing teenagers in the media. And so it was, it's, it's a sort of fascinating thing that happened is you, it's, you know, what happens when you teach teenagers how to critique teen images of teenagers in the media, right? So um, in our research, we have found that a lot of it, first of all, it, by and large, this was the number one unit across a whole year that students liked. I think the class had 18 students and 17 of them said unilaterally, this was our favorite unit of the year. This was the one I was most engaged in. And we tried to parse out, you know, was it just because it was the media or was it because of its emphasis on youth? And even the students who had already taken a media literacy class uh, at that school, this was still their favorite. And they said it wasn't because the, they said, actually, I was quite bored by learning about media literacy. But <laughs> the thing that, that I, the reason I enjoyed this unit was that it was because um, of its focus on teenagers and youth. And they saw mm -hmm. themselves in the curriculum in a different way, if that mm -hmm. um, And so that was like our number one finding. And then the, the, other findings were just how they were developing awarenesses of how the media is constructing this, mm. this sort of expectation for who they are or who mm -hmm. they're supposed to be or how they're supposed to behave. Um, so I think of that concept of stereotype threat, that the media is sort of feeding them ideas of who they are and not just feeding it to them, feeding it to teachers, feeding it to adults, parents that we sort of have these ideas of who teenagers are, are supposed to be. And so we sort of set them up to be that way, right? And I just think of times when I've heard, um, 
you know, even my own family members say something about my niece or nephew, like they're like eight or nine. And they're like, yeah, well, he's, he's such a sweet boy now, but I know once he turns 13, it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket, you know, mm-hmm. like that. And you're like, well, think, what do you think is going to happen when this kid turns 13? If that's already the expectation that you're setting mm-hmm. up, it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in that right. sense. So, so yeah, so what we're finding is that when, when teenagers are given the opportunity and space and the tools to analyze these representations of teenagers in the media, let's say, they get to become different kinds of people because they could see how they're being set up to be, to behave in certain ways or to think in certain ways or to have certain priorities. And they get to know how they can see that and they get to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And make an intentional choice or make a conscious choice. And exactly. instead of just following the story that we believe is in front of us. Exactly. Exactly. And so Sophia Sarginitas, one of the co-authors in her chapter and in an article she wrote, she talks about how the kids in that study enact different ways of being youth right? They, they become so much more aware of, of this construct that they get to be differently in the world mm-hmm. as a result. And they get to analyze situations differently. Um, yeah. So I, in general, I think too, it opens up adults to think differently about youth and to be in different kinds of relationship with youth and to pay a better attention to the language we use. Um, Mm -hmm. so often adolescence is framed in deficit ways, deficit discourses, um, their adolescents are always at risk just by virtue of being an adolescent. You're sort of an, you're the definition of adolescence is you're not an adult. You're Mm -hmm. not yet whole. You're not yet complete. And so you're instantly othered as Mm -hmm. a not yet whole person as not yet adult. And so what I would love to see is adults and youth looking for commonalities across the lifespan, not these, these, these differences that set us apart from each other, but these commonalities that bring us together. Um, yeah. And, and then I'll just say this last bit, the, a lot of the students in the media literacy unit, they picked up on how statistically adults were more apt to behave in certain ways whether that was around alcohol use or drug addiction. But a lot of times those issues were framed as teen issues. Mm. And so they felt that they were really unfairly represented that, that these issues that we often think of as teen issues are actually statistically more prevalent among adults than they mm-hmm. are teenagers. And I think when texting was first a thing, this that you sort of see this, you know, you see how texting at first was framed as this teenage thing Mm -hmm. and now it's just ubiquitous now it's an adult thing it's an everyone thing um and i think what that does is that constrains our abilities to see teenagers literacies linguistic capabilities because we're constantly casting them in these deficit ways that instead we could be looking to see how they're at the leading edges of some of these literacy movements or linguistic shifts or things like that Right. With the the texting example, I had heard it in the deficit framing of um, doing these shortcuts on language or that teenagers don't know how to write because they're not writing full words or full sentences. 
But from an asset framing, we could say that adolescence created a language that served a purpose. And the it wasn't a shortcut, it was an innovation. Sure. And it was an innovation that um, in language, which is what we're studying in English language arts. And the other thing that you mentioned that made me think, isn't that exactly what we're trying to teach? The power of words, that the words that we use matter. And so as we're trying to teach this to our students as English language arts and literacy teachers, that words have power, we need to remember that ourselves, that mm -hmm. our words have power too. Yeah, absolutely. And so that that's a huge takeaway for me. It's just thinking of the language I'm using to characterize a group of people. Um, and, you know, I do this exercise with my future teachers where I say, if let's say you were hired to teach a group of students and, and you were told that that group of students is at risk, right? Before you even meet them, you're already imagining ways that you're gonna, worries that you have about them, things that you're gonna do to be a teacher in that environment, types of curriculum that they're gonna, you're gonna you know, build for them. At the, it, what if, and, and I was asked them like, what if it, you were introduced to those students as these are a group of kids who are producers of culture, right? Before meeting the same group of kids can be framed either way, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're going to have so many different ways of interacting with those students, different points of possibilities for building curriculum if they're framed as producers of culture versus if they're framed as at risk. And so just kind of to your point about the texting, imagine if a group of students were framed as innovator, innovators of language versus mm -hmm. illiterate. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just the you're just as a teacher, your your felt sense of those kids, your sense of possibility to work with them is going to be totally different. Right. Well, thank you so much for helping us rethink adolescence and rethink the language we're using. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.